Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Can You Hear Me podcast. This is a podcast about news of the day and the communications implications that they present. My name is Rob Johnson. I'm a former Chicago TV news anchor and current president of Rob Johnson Communications, a communications consulting firm. And I'm Eileen Rochford, a 25-year veteran of marketing communications and strategy, and I'm the CEO of the Harbinger Group a communications firm here in Chicago. So the reason we wanted to do this is because we wanted to talk about what communications experts need to be thinking about, what you need to be thinking about, not only as an employee, but as an employer. And today's topic, our first topic in this podcast series is best communication practices during and after the pandemic. So we're going to talk about things like how employees were engaged during this unprecedented time working remotely. We're going to talk about the trust in employees. We're also going to talk about some of the current events going on now. The vaccines are starting to take hold. People are starting to think about how they're going to return to their office. And we also want to highlight some of the companies and what they're doing, what think the best practices are. But we also want to discuss in this time the tensions between employees and employers about the various visions for the return to office scenarios. That's what we're going to talk about today. And Eileen, I think that as a business owner, as somebody that employs people, you have some great insight to, to give us. Why don't we back up and talk about, just to get into this, just to give context to it, let's back up about a year and talk about what it was like when everybody, not only for your office, but other offices where people all of a sudden went from in-person to remote working and the challenges that they faced. And a couple of my clients that I deal with on a regular basis had to navigate through this as well. The communications challenges were real and and, and they were there was no playbook for it. Mm-hmm. It was an extraordinary time, no question about it. I think after the first, the shock maybe of the first, you know, six, eight weeks, kind of I wouldn't say wore off and maybe died down. That's when it got very real because those first six, eight weeks, it was very much people just were facing total uncertainty. They were uh, struggling with almost the chaos that had been created, right? Does does my home work uh, situation even support my ability to work fully? Do, do I have the right technology? Companies were just dealing with like the, the kind of battening down the hatches of um, make it possible for us to survive this piece of it. But once that had passed, I think it became much more about quality. You know, how can we make sure that we know how to use these technologies and do it well during the workday, frankly, while nearly everyone was juggling some kind of personal home environment challenge that had nothing to do with technology. It had to do with, you know, your three kids down the hallway who were doing homeschooling at the same time that you were trying to go to work. You and maybe your spouse or your partner were uh, working in shifts, having to work at during the nights or, or the mornings just so that you had coverage, you know, for all of that or whatever your challenge was. Maybe it was you were in a home with multiple generations of your family who were all trying to, to weather the storm. So everybody faced challenges like that. And those were ongoing the whole time. But once we got kind of settled a bit, I think then it became much more about preservation of culture and team and effective communications. And those were really, really big issues. Really big issues because you think about, and, and, and I know that a couple of my clients dealt with this directly, they may have, say, two to 500 employees that have all been at the office, and you can always communicate, and you can always call a staff meeting, and you can always get there, and all of a sudden, everybody's remote, and all of a sudden, there's a disconnect there, and, and you bring up some really interesting points 
about the sort of personal side of it, the human side of it that, that goes beyond the work. And, and it's hard to think back about 14 months and say, this is what we were dealing with. And we had, we had never had to deal with this before in the history of, of working in America. And now here, here we were having to deal with it. How do you put together those best communication practices? And I felt like from my standpoint, helping some of these clients navigate through that constant communications, whether it be email. I, I also happen to like video. I thought that was a good technique for them to use because sometimes you want to see the boss, him or her, and those sorts of things work. But there's also a factor here of once you got over the initial shock, once IT could, could get their arms around this technical challenge that had been presented to them about how do I get my workers to work effectively in a remote environment at their house, you know, and we don't have, you know, we have the firewall at work, but all of a sudden people are at their own homes with their own Wi-Fi and things like that. Once they got through that, then there's also an issue here, I think, of trust. Is there not like as a boss, you have to trust that your employees, even though you can't see them and you can't walk by their office, you trust that they are doing right by the company. And, and I know that's a big issue as well. Absolutely. Trust was central to everything in this entire pandemic time. There's no doubt about it, but in particular, when it comes to employers and employees and their relationships, right? I've always had a remote workforce at our firm. So this really was not something new to us. We've been remote for nearly 18 years in one form or another with all of our people working either from home environments or other um, you know, non-office, uh, central office environments. So this wasn't a new thing for me, but even with that history and that experience, we were still presented with lots and lots of new challenges. I had to trust that it was the right thing to do to give a lot of our folks almost larger agency than they'd had even in the past. Um, sometimes it just, it was clear that someone needed a break, that they needed to take a mental health day. They needed um, some help and support in putting in better boundaries so that workdays didn't bleed one right into the next, which is what was happening. It was really unprecedented when, when you no longer were either leaving your house or the people you worked with as clients weren't commuting. Everybody started to have these longer, longer workdays, and frankly, because there was nothing else to do, right? <laughs> yeah, you, you get you get rid of that commute, and and I had a lot of people say, I'm far more efficient now because I just got rid of at least in some cases two hours of commuting each day. Yeah, no doubt about it. That so let's talk about that for a second. The commute part is really interesting because that's a, been a selling point for me to attract talent to the Harbinger Group for a long time. We don't have any commute, and we really discourage any kind of commute. Um, we have always felt that uptime, you know, efficient work work time is what is most valuable. And that's what our clients want from us, right? I think as a, a consulting entity, that's very, very true. Um, clients don't want to hear that you're wasting time getting to a space, you're spending the time on their business. That's so always been a big selling point for us in attracting talent. What I saw was clients experiencing that for the first time and appreciating the difference, the, the calmness that it brought in some ways, the slowing down of their lives, you know, the observations they were making just about people and things happening in the world, nature, all of it, their brains were slowed down because of the removal of that um, it's almost a chaotic and numbing experience, a commute, I, I believe. So I don't think there's a sense of value in it. And there's a lot of value in saving the time and the money that's associated with commuting, right? So that's a, that's a big upside, no doubt about it. 
<laughs> no, it, it really is. And, and it's really important to talk about, too, because there's a couple things at play here uh, also. And, and I'd heard anecdotally about some, some managers at some companies that would, you know, be on a DM and like every 15 minutes they check in with their employees. Okay, what are you doing now? What are you doing now? Which I think is runs counter to being um, efficient and effective. But that's what micromanagers do sometimes. So depending on who your manager was, who your boss is, mm-hmm. you could have had a really good experience where you did have some latitude to to work when it was time to work, to work hard. But also, as you pointed out earlier, you have a different rhythm because you have family at home and you have other responsibilities, people, you know, kids that are going to school in your house and you're working in your house. Yeah. Uh, but for people that had to have this boss that was always on them and on them and on them, what are you doing now? And are you in front of your computer and this and that? I would think that would have added to the stress of already working at home during a pandemic, but you're trying to be efficient and it's hard to be efficient when you're talking to your boss every, you know, 15 or 30 minutes. Yeah. Okay. Here I am. I'm in front. Okay. I did this. I did that. That kind of run runs counter to that a little bit. And and I think that as a, you know, when we're talking about trust here, Eileen, mm-hmm. we want to make sure that people understand, you know, as, as a boss, you have to, you have to have that trust in your employees that the normal workflow that people would normally have was going to be changed. It just had to be because there's so many people in your house, in your new office. There's so many people coming in and out or pets or this or that. And, and that, that was a real, that was a real challenge and has been a real challenge. No doubt. Yeah. That's a great point about the um, over checking on, uh, on your employees. That's, that doesn't do anybody any good. No doubt about it. And that just makes people feel like they, they are not trustworthy. Right. And I hate that kind of management style myself. Like I said, agency is a big part of um, what we give here because I just believe fundamentally that people are always um, at their best and most creative and most productive um, when they feel supported and trusted. That's just, you know, what I think. And I think that's true. We see that played out in countless scenarios in our world. But we did have to adjust our communications too. I mean, I'll be really honest, even though we were accustomed to living and working rather um, remote style, and, and, and that's different, you know, up until <laughs> this past year, that wasn't something that a lot of companies did. We still experienced um, a need to increase our communications across our team in different ways. So like we found what helped was coming together at a consistent time as an entire team, at least weekly with a clear agenda, partially, but then also just to see each other and allow for moments of connection and humanity. There was something about this past year plus that created um, isolation, you know, because we couldn't go to the places we were accustomed to going, whether it was the office or elsewhere, to experience interaction in real life with human beings. We couldn't do that. And I saw that taking a toll on the people who just worked at our firm. So we instituted these weekly huddles um, on video that previously maybe were shorter and maybe only happened every two weeks. But I, when, it, when we instituted that and came together as a team, intentionally had those like down conversations. They were not client work focused, but just people focused about ourselves and how we were feeling. I noticed a big difference. 
and in um, you know lowering of stress levels, people being more productive, working better together, lots of things came out of that. And that was a key learning that was beneficial during that time. That's something that we plan to preserve and carry over um, into the now times, right? <laughs> Even though we may not need it in the same way, and maybe those meetings will be a little shorter. But I think a lot of companies had to seek interactions that were far less work focused and much more humanity focused as a result of this, you know, isolation period. And I'll be interested to see how that impacts things moving forward, you know, whether you're fully back in the office or a hybrid situation, you know, at your employer. That's something I'm really interested in seeing what happens. You know, you brought up an interesting point, Eileen, about having those frequent communications with your employees. And and I, I want to take people, but we're, we're, we're going backward here only to get to current events and then to be forward thinking here, just to remind people of what we've been through in the last 12 to 14 months as it relates to remote working and that relationship that you have with the employee-employer. But what I found interesting, the Edelman Trust Barometer comes out all the time. They have a trust barometer for every year, and they put one out particularly just for COVID about a year ago, a little over a year ago. And what was interesting was, if you think historically about who you trust as an information source, in the history of work, you wouldn't always say, I trust my employer the most to give me credible information. However, because of this unprecedented time, because of this remote work situation that happened en masse, some people do it. You talked about your office, you do it all the time. But there are a lot of places that had never done this before. And the Edelman Trust Barometer showed that employer communications, via email, the, any of the, the platforms that you might use, was the most trusted source of information for employees. And that really, that really speaks volumes, doesn't it? Because I think historically you might say, oh, I don't always believe what my employer is telling me because they're going to spin it you know, for their own benefit. But in this particular instance, that was the most trusted source of information. And you have to ask the question, why, right? Mm -hmm. Some of the things that I observed um, working with you know, clients, clients across a number of industries was a, a marked increase in volume and type of communications. So they were the, the really, really good employers were not only sharing information about how work was evolving at their company, but they were sharing information about what's happening with the virus in their region and nationally. They were sharing best practices to keep their employees healthy. They were sharing everything that they got from the CDC and other sources on a regular basis so that they were almost taking care of them in addition to employing them. And that was a really big shift. And I, I mean, my theory is that that contributed to people feeling uh, a sense of trust from their employer. I think you may be right there. So you're listening to the Can You Hear Me podcast. This is Rob Johnson and Eileen Rochford, two uh, self-described communications experts. <laughs> and uh, I, I want to transition now, Eileen, and talk about current events mm -hmm. and where we, where we kind of gave context about where we were a year or 14 months ago. Now I want to talk about where we are now as we're hopefully coming out of this pandemic. And there's a lot to talk about here. There is, you know, vaccinations are readily available for people that want to take them. And vaccines may be the key to returning to office. 
lots of changes. Some some of our our, our institutions institutions that we like to go to, whether it's the ballpark or whether it's a concert or, you know, the restaurants are reopening. They're reopening now in Illinois um, on, on May 14th. It became uh, the bridge phase where you're opening in greater numbers. And then phase five starts June 11th, where they're really going to be opening things up if, in, case, in, in, in the event there are no setbacks. So, so things that people have been clamoring for, things that people have been wanting to happen, are going to start happening. Your fairs, your concerts, your festivals, just getting out, enjoying the summer. There's never a better time in Chicago, as we know, than the summertime. And, and, and hopefully all those things are going to align. But in that, the companies are going to be reopening their offices. And there is a lot of talk about how that's going to happen, how that's going to be executed successfully. And we know that there are different companies are doing things in different ways, aren't they? Yeah, there's a lot of shapes and sizes out there. Uh, every day, I feel like when I'm on uh, LinkedIn or various news sources, we see another major company talking about their plans to reopen. And, and it's it ranges, you know, like Twitter sticking to 100% remote, Google, while initially everybody back in the office was their approach, they had some big backlash, um, which Force them to reconsider. We've got their new approach. Looks like it's going to settle on um, 20% remote, but up to 20% of the workforce can be remote. But they have to apply to be allowed to be remote, which is interesting. Um, uh, Goldman Sachs, um, massive employer um, in mm -hmm. the finance sector, back everybody's back in the office on June 1st, no question about it. That's just what's happening, right? So those are three very different. Um, scenarios, um, but they pretty much capture everything that um, we're hearing. And I'm I'm just so curious how this is all going to play out, mostly because there's so much value in what we all learned, right, over this past year plus in how to effectively work in a remote or a hybrid situation. And it just seems to me, you know, someone who maybe I'm very biased because I've run a remote firm for 18 years. Um, I just don't know um, why we would be forcing a return to what everybody's calling the before times, just because that's how it was. You know what I'm saying? It just it's it, it's like kind of feels to me like a little too much control. You know, a desire for control from employers to some degree when they're um, asking for the the full return to office um, when we've seen so much value come out of not having to do all the things associated with an office work and being just as effective out of office in a lot of ways. And I think, you know, from a human nature perspective, Eileen, people like, uh, I think they're, listen, you know, we're, we're social animals, right? We want to be around people. We want to engage with people. I think having to do remote presentation training as I did for a lot of my clients, you know, how do you break through on a Zoom platform or a WebEx or whatever the case may be? I think people are relishing being back in person. However, I do think people said, hey, I was pretty efficient having some flexibility here, not having to show up at the same place at the same time every day, looking the exact same way and doing the exact same thing. I think once people realized they had that variety, I'm not suggesting that everybody wants to work in their pajamas, but they realized on days that I worked in my pajamas at home, I could still be efficient. Mm -hmm. No, no question about it. I mean, I had an experience just um, with one of my neighbors yesterday morning. 
he has never had a commute in 25 years. He's a partner in a law firm um, and self-proclaimed um, convert to the idea of effective remote working. Um, and he struggled with it, you know, in the first, as he reported to me, in the first three, four months, mightily struggled with the the technology platforms. He struggled with isolation. He struggled with accessing documents that he needed, you know, some basic stuff. But once he got over that, he realized, I don't feel as stressed anymore having to rush out the door, all the things associated with the commute, you know, whether it's um, biking to work, using mass transit or driving, there's stress involved with all of it, you know, any, any type. And the hours you get back in the day, um, he shared, he felt that he could do so much more for personal things. Like he said, hey, I took up yoga. I've never really done that on a consistent basis before, but I'm doing it three days a week and I feel great. That kind of thing. I'm, I know, Rob, you've heard lots of examples like that too, either from clients. Oh my, there's no, no, no doubt about it because, because you have this extra time to be efficient. You're not hopping on a plane. You're not getting in a car. You're not having to do that commute. You're not having to fly to somewhere else. And all of a sudden you have this extra time. And, and so I've had people, you know, one, one guy in particular that runs a home office who's on the road all the time. He's said he had time to build in for networking and other things that executives don't normally have time for. And he said, hey, I've got an extra two hours a day. I got an hour to go meet people and to you know collaborate and see what's going on. And, and I just thought that was really interesting because I was thinking this person is, is, is the least flexible person that I know. And yet he was reporting to me that, yeah, I'm really busy, but, but I control my environment. And because I control my environment, I can decide how I want to allocate the hours that I have to spend on various things. And so I, that was really interesting to me. It is. I, I share a lot of what, um, you know, the, that, that he concluded in his own experience. That's exactly what I have found so valuable, just working remotely for um, nearly two decades. That's shocking to me, but for real, it's, I can keep a consistent take care of me schedule. Um, that would have been almost impossible where I uh, working inside of a, a very large marketing agency at the pace that they operate and having to commute downtown. But no, I, I really see that there's a lot of value in um, carving out time for yourself, for your health, whether it's exercise or yoga, Pilates, you know, whatever, whatever you need time for to make yourself feel good and stay healthy. It's a lot easier to do that when you don't have a commute stacked up on top of everything else. Yeah, there's no question about it. But nevertheless, for most people, and I know that you're going to continue your, your remote work environment because that's worked for you for, as you pointed out, almost two decades, mm-hmm. a lot of people are going to be returning to office. And we talked about trust earlier, Eileen, as it related to trusting your employees during the pandemic to, to, to be professionals and to get the work done even even with all the other challenges that were presented them uh, at, at their home office. But now I want to talk about trust a little bit as it relates to the return to office scenario mm-hmm. and, and how people are going to be able to manage um, what they've experienced in the last year 
and then weave it back with, okay, return to normal. I don't think there's such a thing. I don't think anything's going to return to normal because the experience that we just had as a society for the past 12 to 14 months has been something we will never forget. Nevertheless, some people may not want to return to the office. Some people may want to. I mean, there, there's a lot of different things at play here. And now we're talking about trust as it relates to the return to office scenario for a lot of people. Absolutely. Um, there are very real and critical questions. I think employers need to be asking and digging into um, well beyond you know, their executive leadership team as they tackle the question of um, how to return, not just when to return. And that the questions they need to be asking aren't just of themselves. They have to be asking them of their own employees. I mean, I, I think from a communications perspective, the most important thing that companies and executives can do right now as they sort this out is gather as much direct input from uh, across a variety, if not all, of their employees and staff and contractors to find out um, what's most important to them and get at the heart of, okay, what can we retain that was good from this past year? And what do we need to go back to um, now that we don't have to operate in that manner anymore, right? If they, get, they need to get the input directly from the folks who work for the companies, in my opinion, and, and then factor that in at a, a, a very high level um, in their decision-making and planning processes. I, I think uh, there's some really interesting research that, that point to the tensions that are presented here, right? There's research from yes. PwC, right? And th PwC these, are, these numbers are really interesting, by the way. It is. So 55% of employees PwC surveyed want to work remotely at least three days a week. They want to work remotely at least three days a week. Yet, 60%, 68% of their executives want employees in the office at least three days a week. So right there, you just see it already. They're, they're kind of at odds in terms of um, how much employees want to stay home and work remotely and how much executives want their folks in their office working in person. So there's that. Um, live careers research showed that a third of workers reported they would quit and find another job before going full-time in an office again. And I got to tell you, when, when I'm you know, on LinkedIn um, as a, a marketing communications professional, it's a place who, and we primarily represent B2B companies, I'm in there a lot. And the amount of job postings that are going on, as you know, it's very, very hard to even find talent right now. It's, it's shocking to me how many of them have remote or all remote uh, right in the heading. Right I've there. seen them. I've seen them. It's unbelievable that, and that's, and that is a, that's a carrot. People are thinking, Hey, people want to work remotely. And, and the way that these jobs are posted on LinkedIn, for instance, that you were referencing is unbelievable because there are so many of them that are like remote work and they know that that is a carrot. They know that that is an attractive quality that people want to be able to employ if they so choose. So employers can't put the genie back in the bottle, right? They just can't. Not wholly. And, and, and to think that they can will create giant fissures in the relationships with their employees, in my opinion, mm -hmm. as a communications person. It, it's just, it's bound to. Think about the fact that for this entire time, 
employers had to cede so much, again, agency to employees to get the job done. And they, those employees rose to the occasion. They did it. Yes, they, they delivered, did. Right? In, in, in sectors all over, in, in regions all over the world, they delivered. So to then go back, literally go back, um, is, is, uh, is a bad choice. We, employers just really have to think about what can I keep that, that allowed greater flexibility um, uh, was a plus in the, in the minds of uh, my employees? What can I keep so that I give them more time back? Because if you're going to ask them to give up something like no commute, you're going to have to give them something back. Mm-hmm. That just makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Well, I think it's. I think you're really raising some interesting points here, Eileen, because you're talking about the the change in communications that needs to occur. And what and and, and as you were saying it, as you were talking about the the PwC research about the 55 percent of employees want to work remotely at least three days a week, but 68 percent of executives want employees in the office. So there's the tension that you're you're talking about. But when you were talking about the messaging. It, the, the question is, who's doing the messaging? Is the messaging being done by the employer who's going to sit there and tell you all the great reasons that you need to be back in the office at least three days a week? Or is it the 55% of employees who might say, gosh, you know, if I'm not in the office all the time, you can maybe save on, you can maybe get a smaller office space and save on rent because obviously a lot of businesses were hit hard by the pandemic and cost savings is a huge issue. So the question is, who's doing the messaging? How do you make your case for that? But you, but what you're really talking about here is a change from sort of the top-down management style that, that exists in a lot of places and has historically. And all of a sudden, as it relates to this particular issue, you're talking about a little bit more collaborative approach to problem solving and to, and to thinking about what your new office life, if you have one, return to office is going to look like. Mm-hmm. You have to appreciate that employers made massive adaptations in so many unique and interesting and unprecedented ways so that people could remain employed and remain effective. And there were elements of humanity that we shared with each other as, uh, as coworkers um, that we never shared before. There's just an, like an intimacy in these relationships that are, that's totally new. So to, sh- to just shut the steel door on all that and expect everybody to go, everyone to go back to the way it was with this, as you put it, Top down or ivory tower decision making model, um, that will absolutely backfire. There's no doubt about it. And when you look at the fact that in this environment right now, um, companies are hiring like crazy. It's it's amazing to me. You, I just didn't think that that's what this was going to be. But their talent is on the market, and you can get more. You can get better. It's not that hard, right? So people have options. If you want them to stay, you have to keep that trusting relationship. And what that looks like is demonstrating that their input matters, that their needs matter. You're not able to do everything that they want. No employer ever is. But demonstrating that you heard them and you took into account um, their exact needs, their special needs, their, um, their requirements that you know, have, have changed 
and you tried to figure out a way to adapt and so that you're going to keep that, that says a lot. That retains trust. But again, I'm going to say it. If you if you take something away, expect them to give something up rather, um, which they feel is being taken away, then you really do have to give something in return. And I think that Google um, example is a good one. You know, they were pretty adamant. Everybody back in. And when they saw what that created amongst their employees and that backlash, the the uh, adaptation that they made to the 20% get to work remotely or up to 20%. And um, you have to apply. I mean, it's weird, some of the constraints they put around that. But um, still, that was done because they realized they couldn't just slam that steel door again. And when they tried to, it backfired. And I, and I think as you as you referenced the Google situation, that was not getting the buy-in from everybody. It 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 blew up in their face, for lack of a better term. And and it was such a key issue. It's the return to office. It's we've been working remotely for the most part, and now we're going to return to the office. And and you're talking about having a collaborative approach where people's input matters. And I think that you're absolutely correct in that because if you don't get buy-in on this issue, you're going to have anarchy or you're going to have pushback or you're going to have something that you're not going to like as a boss, as an employer. And so it's very important to understand that. But I think it also raises a very legitimate question, Eileen, which is if I'm an employer, and I understand that my management style maybe needs to change a little bit as it relates to this return to office scenario. And I make sure that I have the proper buy-in from everybody and that their voices are being heard and their input is being valued. Is that going to extend beyond the return to office? Is it going to extend to other parts of the, the business? In other words, you're the boss. You make the tough calls. That's, you, you own your firm. And you, you have that right to do that. But will this return to office collaboration, and it ha this has to be collaborative because you want everybody to feel like they're being heard and their, their opinion matters. Mm -hmm. Will it extend in the future to other things? Will they expect that, well, the boss, you know, I'm not saying it's a democracy in the workplace, but is it going to change? Is it is that going to change maybe some of the management styles if this big issue, an issue of great import like this, mm -hmm. is going to um, have the feedback from the employees in the in the manner that it will? Will this extend to to other things? I know that's a little bit of a crystal ball thing, but mm -hmm. I think it raises an interesting issue. It definitely does. It, it, <clears throat> so. Obviously, I'm an employer, not of a huge company by any stretch. It's very, very small. Um, but I've always believed that you get the best out of people when you give them a whole lot of um, input and flexibility. They just, they're at their best in those environments. Um, and at the same time, there are just, there is a need for structure and policies. You have to have them, right? There just has to be, it's, you know, Partially driven by law, partially driven by um, just uh, human beings and, and how we think and operate. You've got to have it, you know, for order and other things. Um, if companies don't recognize that the impact of this past year plus um, 
as is is I I won't say flattening, but almost to a degree, some democratization um, of the relationship between employer and employee. I I think they're kidding themselves. I really do. I think things change dramatically, and the appreciation for how serious and significant that change is um, needs to be present in the decision making of whether it's return to work or um, you know how. What are our flexible work policies moving forward? Our compensation policies, our um, you know approach to everything from spot bonuses to um, mental health days. There's there's a massive democratization that um, has taken place, and it's in very small ways. But when you add them all up, it's big. That's my it, it, no, it it is, and 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 I think that your awareness of this as an employer is tremendous because I have to think that other employers are thinking the same thing. And as we transition beyond just the return to office uh, scenario and the collaboration that will need to take place, but also as you talk about being having a little bit more democratization of the process in the office, I also think about you know. The, Millennials are making up such a huge portion of the workforce, and in the next ten years, it's only going to get even more so. And as you know, employing some of them, that they march to the beat of a little bit, you know, of a different drummer. They have always embraced a little bit more remote working style in general before the pandemic, and now as the pandemic has hit us, and as we're coming out of it, hopefully, that that's that's even more of an emphasis for people. Uh, who were who are workers of that age, but for you as a boss, it also speaks to something else, which is retention. It's keeping talent around. It's what do I have to do as an employer? I don't want to have turnover. I don't want to have to, you know, retrain people or train people uh, again and again and again. I want to keep my good people. So there's also that pressure, understanding that we went through a pandemic and understanding that. This is a little bit different day and age now, and I and I would suggest that the bosses that figure that out sooner rather than later are going to have greater success. Absolutely. You know, it's another thing. Um, another aspect of this, I'll say though, is talent. You know, this topic of keeping talent mm-hmm. very, very valid. It's also about acquisition. Of oh, talent now, acquisition right? and retention. I mean, that's key. There's no border to where you can get folks who are the right people anymore. We've proven that. The best talent can be part of your team, no matter where they're located, as long as you're open to remote working. And if you're not, then you're cutting yourself off from that. It's very, very limited. If it's only people from within your region. So, you know, another thing for folks to think about. There's a, so- there's a, a whole new world that's been opened up. No, there has been, and and I'm just curious to know, you know, the the as an employer, the the personal and professional journey that you have to go on, because some people are, they, all all bosses are different. Some are like you who are trying to empower and you know challenge their their workers to be their very best, but also giving them some latitude and some freedom. And then you have, as I mentioned earlier, you have the micromanagers. But then you have other people that may not be micromanagers, but that are stuck in their their old ways of here's how work gets done at its best and it's in the office and we're rolling up our sleeves and 
you know, we're in that, that conference room, you know, all, all day long. And for those people, their, their attitudes, the way they conduct business might have to shift a little. I totally agree with that. I've personally seen it. We have multiple clients who were in the office, you know, formal professional dressed environments um, in uh, finance and banking and venture capital environments that because they had to change, they changed. And all of a sudden they've seen, oh, that, that does, it works actually works and it was good for us and we not only survived in a lot of ways um you know being tested by fire they forged deeper better more meaningful relationships with their employees and with the organizations they serve uh, in ways that i don't think they ever could have had we not gone through what we all went through together um you know in their industries even it was amazing to see how they could shift. And my hope is that they will retain that open-mindedness that they were, you know, let's say it, we were forced to do it. None of us had a choice. We had to. And that may not have felt very good, but retaining the open-mindedness aspect of um, the experience as we kind of evolve into the next chapter, I'd like to see as much of that as possible because I mean, we're in this incredible time of advancement technologically. Gosh, we got a vaccine to market in um, record time. And thank goodness that we- And months, and months. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but this time that we're all living in right now, it also presents some true terrifying challenges and, and so many different levels, right? Well, let's just keep the open-mindedness. Let's not dig in our heels and force ourselves to return to the how it was. Right. I, I want to. It's, it's so much. It's I feel that comes from a place of control. I really do. And that's a that's a shortcoming. Oh, it is. It is so limiting to do that. And you can you can see it. And, and I think that the people that are trying to be controlling, the people that are stuck in their their old ways because the world changed so dramatically. And even though we're going to return to some sort of normalcy, whatever that means. It still will never be the same, and and I and I I like what you were talking about, being you know being a, a veteran employer, and and understanding okay we were forced to do this, but I also learned a few things, and I actually maybe changed the way that I want to conduct my business, and I'm thinking about one of my clients in particular, a mid cap financial services firm here in Chicago, that has very veteran leadership, people that have been around for forty plus years, who were forced to do the same things all employers were, but embraced a constant communication strategy, knew that the words that were coming out of his mouth and the mouths of the other C-suite level executives, people were hanging on every word. Getting back to the COVID Edelman Trust Barometer. Who do you trust? My employer right now. Everything that they said people were and i would and i would tell them this they're parsing they're listening to every word you're saying they're watching every move you make so whether you're on a zoom call or whether you're you know give, sending an email whatever the case is the scrutiny and and the detail that they are the attention they're paying to what you're saying has never been greater and 
I think that was a, a, a shift change for some of them because sometimes as the boss, you say something and you're like, how many people heard that? And in this particular instance, everybody was hearing that. And you have to understand that moving forward, because you had that experience, there's a greater responsibility for you as a boss. Definitely. Also, think about the equity of that trust that they're now placing in you, how valuable that is. Why would you want to squander that by not factoring in uh, their preferences, their input on how this should go, you know, the evolution of the return to work? Why would you want to squander that? That's crazy. That's something that nobody should give away. You want to keep retaining that trust, retaining those people, making them feel empowered, supported as much as you possibly can. Again, in my opinion, but I, I mean, I really believe that that's, that's something that employers would be nuts to throw away. Well, your opinion is very important here because it's your podcast. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whatever, whatever you think we're listening to because it's very, it's, it's valid. And I really like the, the point you just made about the equity and about the trust and about why would you want to give that up? You've spent all this time and effort changing the culture because you were forced to. So what, what if now you can change the culture because it's the right thing to do? Mm-hmm. While capitalizing on all the learnings, there are tremendous learnings took place, whether it was technology-based, seeing clients adapt to project management systems, um, and had never touched those kinds of things before and saw them thrive as a team, become super productive because they had to embrace something they'd never even known existed before. Um, all of the learnings, all of the good. I mean, I would encourage other business owners to catalog that, take serious note of the impact that those great things have made on their business um, and plan for how to keep them, incorporate them. Don't go back to the way that you were communicating via email and maybe instant messenger inside your office. Stay on the platforms where there's true collaboration and project management um, and productivity occurring. Keep it. Keep all the good stuff. Keep all Absolutely. the frequency of meetings, the, the over communication, but just do it about the things that now matter. So it's an evolution, right? but not tossing it all out. I, I just um, would caution certainly any client not to do that. And we, we learned things here at the Harbinger Group, working in concert with clients in a way that we hadn't before because they were forced to adapt. We're not throwing any of that out. We're keeping all of it and we're going to build on it. Smart, smart. That's why you're the boss because you <laughs> get that. Well, listen, Eileen, this has been great fun. Uh, for those of you that are tuning in. We appreciate it uh, more than you know. You're listening to the Can You Hear Me podcast with Rob Johnson and Eileen Rochford talking about all things important as it relates to communication. And the next time on the Can You Hear Me podcast, we're going to talk about the erosion of trust in our institutions. We're talking about social institutions like government, business, non-governmental organization, NGOs, and of course, the media. That's the next time on Can You Hear Me the podcast with Rob Johnson and Eileen Rochford. Eileen, great job, and uh, thanks for the expertise. Thank you. Always great to be with you. Can't wait for the next episode. Yes, and be sure to tune into the next episode, and we hope you enjoyed the information today. And uh, please give us your feedback on social media or wherever else you have found this podcast. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you again next time. Bye, everybody.